My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. When I was little and I first asked adults how babies were made, I was told that when a mommy and daddy love each other and pray, poof, a little bun appears in their oven. I was only about four then. So throughout kindergarten and leading up to it, every time I would have a stomach ache, I feared that God had confused some random thought I had about a baby, like, oh, look, there's a baby, and would suddenly, you know, had made me pregnant. I'd accidentally uh, wished for that. Uh, Thank goodness I watched soap operas, but that's another story. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio. I am your host, August McLaughlin, and I am so excited about today's show. We are going to talk about sex-positive parenting, which should not be an oxymoron. In preparation for today's show, I asked the Girl Boner communities online what they learned from their parents about sex when they were kids. Here are just a few of their answers. Amelia said, nothing. I learned from reading romance novels, which are total fiction. Amber said, nothing. Basically, don't do it. Dixie said nothing. There's a theme here. I heard all about it in the girls' bathroom. Of course, it was all wrong, but I got the hang of it by the time I was in my 20s, lol. Ashley said, ha, my dad's a vet, so I inferred some things from the barnyard. That's actually a good way to learn. Uh, But everything... I know about women's bodies. I learned from the pamphlet in the Tampax box. <laughs> Go Tampax. Katie said, I was told to, quote, never touch or talk about my privates unless I had a disease, which I could avoid by not having sex. Then I could see a doctor. And Fox said, sex is a wonderful and beautiful thing between two married people. On repeat. <laughs> Thanks, you guys, for, for weighing in. I always love hearing from you. I Personally, I don't have kids, and I can only imagine how difficult it must be to instill positive attitudes and, you know, the right know-how about sexuality in this confused, you know, world full of mixed messages in in the media and culture. And since most parents never received sound sex education themselves, it all gets far more complex. You know, where do they start? A few weeks ago, I uh, was reading uh, the Huffington Post, and I came upon an article by Leah Grover. She's our guest today. It's called, This is What Sex-Positive Parenting Really Looks Like. I knew I had come upon something special, something necessary. In one post, she trumps most of what I've read and learned about sex education um, in the system that we have in our culture. And I really hope that as many parents as possible will have a chance to read it. I'll be sharing an excerpt and a link on my blog later this week. You can find it, I'm sure, by connecting with Leah Grover um, on uh, the web. She's very active on social media, and I'll share those links later in the show here. Um, I came upon her blog while I was searching around, and then I found out that not only she's also from the Midwest, she's a, she's a Chicago-based writer with um, many different uh, publications featuring her work. She's a mother of toddlers, and she was a fellow Blog Her Voice of the Year this year, so that was very exciting to learn. Um, so I would love to welcome you here today, Leah. Thank you so much for being here and for writing your article. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so curious what led you to 
become a sex-positive parent. Could you tell us a little bit about that process? Well, it wasn't so much a choice as it was a realization that that was a name for what we were already doing with our kids. Um, I I never wanted to shame them for having bodies and for exploring their bodies because it's just sort of what kids do and what people do. And uh, by the time I learned sex positive, you know, the terminology, like, oh, well, that's, that's what we do. So it's a very rational, reasonable thing. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that you, you can probably hear the, the surprise in my voice just because so many people, it's, I mean, it sounds so obvious when you say it and, you know, when we embrace that, it is the most obvious thing. Uh, were you raised with that belief? Pretty much. Um, my parents definitely didn't have the terminology for sex positivity, but uh, they never they never shamed us for having bodies, for using them. Um, but they also weren't as forthcoming and and uh, transparent as we try to be with our kids. Okay. So we knew, you know, my sisters and I from a very early age that sex was how babies were made, and that people had sex not just to make babies, but because they enjoyed it. And that was kind of the end of the conversation. After that, you know, the, the implied conversation was, you know what we're talking about when sex comes up, and we know you know what we're talking about when sex comes up, so we'll just leave it at that. Okay. And, um, and so a lot of it, you know, didn't, didn't really come, come full circle for me. And most importantly, the uh, anatomical um, language um, I mean, I, I was I was an adult talking to a friend who's a doula before I, I learned that uh, the words I've been using to describe my own genitals were wrong, and that vulva was the correct term for anything external, and then internal was vagina, and I didn't even know that until I was an adult. That's, I think, super, super common, and I think it's interesting, one of... Uh the most common, you know, on your blog, you can see what people click on. And there's, uh, I did a post about uh, clitoral sensitivity, and which is a topic I think a lot of people don't know a whole lot about um, if they have a highly sensitive clitoris. And the link that I specifically just say, if you don't know where your clitoris is, here's a good guide. That is one of the most clicked on. You know, it's it's interesting how I think even when you, we might see a diagram in sex ed or something like that, but if it's not part of our language, it's it does seem to be, you know, a little bit more enigmatic and uh, it's so important to be more forthcoming. Uh, how do you define or what are some of the traits of being a sex positive parent? Because I feel like there are a lot of myths out there and people don't quite know what it is. I think uh, the, the the most important trait is to be shame free, and it's not you know in in supporting sex. Sex positive parenting doesn't mean that you're telling your kids that it's okay to go out and have sex all the time with everybody who crosses their path. Um, it just means that you you don't keep them from having sex through fear. And uh, and I think that a lot of people do it without realizing that's what they're doing. They instill this sense of shame and fear of their their bodies, and uh, instill a sense of fear of sex, partly by keeping it unknown. And uh, and that's not healthy because as soon as as kids learn, you know, once they become sexual entities, you know, in adolescence, they they start learning that what they've been told about their bodies and about sex is not true. And if that's not true, then you know everybody's on their own and it's a free-for-all. Oh, totally. As far as the messages that we receive from, you know, the internet, uh, porn, things like that, how do those affect kids when they when they aren't getting their education from, 
you know, from adults, they don't, as you mentioned, the answers that they get might be really confusing or limited. Uh, how do you feel porn and some of the kind of cultural imagery of female sexuality, especially, but just in general, uh, what does that do for our children in, in, in negative ways? Well, one thing that it does is reinforces all of the fear and shame because pornography especially has sort of a type when it comes to, you know, labia and type when it comes to breasts. Girls who grow up with this sense of, of mystery regarding their own bodies and what's normal develop a very unhealthy sense of what is normal. So if what is normal in pornography is a lack of pubic hair and, you know, uh, a vulva that looks a particular way and breasts that look a particular way and their body doesn't conform to that, that can be confusing and shame-inducing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and also now it's causing all kinds of problems with sexual function because, you know, if they're always looking at a screen while they're feeling aroused, mm-hmm. you know, once they start masturbating and stuff like that, girls and boys are developing porn addiction and also dysfunction, you know, that they can't um, be turned on by what's natural and real. Um, how old are your kids now? Four, four, and two. Oh, wow. <laughs> you have a you have a <laughs> lively household, I bet. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's great that you're, you're having conversations now. What would a conversation or what kinds of things, I know you shared a, a, a pretty endearing uh, one in your article, but what kinds of uh, questions are you asked by your kids now and what topics have been coming up? Well, they want to know um, why I have hair in certain places that they don't. And um, the, the biggest questions came up when I was pregnant with, their, with the youngest. Uh, the twins were very curious about how that happened. Um, and we have, you know, we're, we're sort of at this stage in our lives where a lot of our friends are having babies and a lot of their friends are having younger sisters and younger brothers. And so they're sort of constantly surrounded by people who are pregnant or were recently pregnant, and it leads to a, a lot of questions. About where, where did that baby come from, and how did it get in there, and how did it happen? And, um, and so we've, we've sort of put an end to a lot of those questions through just blanket sex education. Um, one book that I can't recommend highly enough, it's just fantastic, is called What Makes a Baby? And it uses the language that inside some people's bodies there are eggs, and inside some people's bodies there's sperm, and inside some people's bodies there's uterus, you know, a uterus, and it takes all three of those to make a baby. But since um, some of our friends, you know, conceived through uh, IVF, uh, we conceived our twins even through IVF, and um, and we have friends who are, you know, gay couples who used artificial insemination or surrogates, then just using the conversation of this is what parents look like and it's, it's that simple can be sort of misleading and confusing. Sure, and I love that book because it doesn't do that. It just talks about the different parts and, you know, they're all remarkably sort of neutral. And I, I like that a lot. Um, so those are some interesting questions we've sort of had to tackle. And part of being sex positive involves, you know, not sort of putting, passing judgment on different kinds of sex or different sex acts. And so, for example, um, talking about uh, uh, gay and lesbian friends in the same sort of language and with the same sense of normalcy that we do about ourselves as a heterosexual couple is very important. Uh, because part of, of shame, you know, and, and sex negativity also comes from this sense that there's only one right way to do it. And the one right way to do it is heterosexual and heteronormative. And the one right way to do it is waiting till marriage to have any sex and then only doing it for the sake of procreation. And that tends to be the sort of sex-negative narrative, and it's just not true. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And I imagine having a resource like that makes it easier for parents who have some difficulty with the language because, you know, since a lot of parents perhaps didn't hear a lot of the language growing up or maybe they are nervous about, you know, approaching the topic, having something to read and explore. I imagine that parents learn a lot in the process as well. Have you, it seems like you're a very sex positive person in general, regardless. Have you uh, found the process of raising uh, your children to be sex positive? Is it empowering? Is it ever nerve wracking? Is it kind of a mix? It's a mix. Sometimes it's very empowering. Sometimes, um, well, uh, for example, uh, I take my children with me when I go to, uh, uh, there's an annual event in Chicago called the Slut Walk. Are you familiar with this? Yes, I am. Yes. So I take the children with me to the Slut Walk, and it's an opportunity for us to talk about uh, bodily autonomy. And who's allowed to touch your body is part of the conversation uh, when you're talking about where it's appropriate to touch your body. And that's, that's how this whole sex-positive conversation really got started in our house, was because of the children touching their vulvas, you know, in the living room or at the dinner table. And teaching them where it's appropriate is, is you know, hand-in-hand hand with teaching them who it is appropriate to allow to touch their, their private parts. Absolutely. And I think and, that's one of the points, too, that uh, you seem to make in the article, is that, you know, it's not about this free-for-all where you're just pushing sex on them or just saying, all sex is great, touch everything, touch everyone, have sex with everyone. I think there's sort of this uh, fear that it opens the gateways too much. And what you're saying is respect it, but also have boundaries. Exactly. That's definitely an illusion people have, that being sex positive is, is being positive about all sex. When, when what it is, is is treating sex as a positive part of life but not one that is, you know, in, uh, uh, careless or, or dangerous. Um, if done, you know, just wildly. I think I, I, I misphrased that. But uh, basically sex is dangerous, and people who are informed know that, and they, they know that having unprotected sex with strangers is a bad idea, and they know that there are diseases you can get from having unprotected sex, and most importantly, they know what is and is not consensual sex acts. And, uh, and by teaching your children, you know, that their, their parts are bad and sinful, um, that touching them is bad and sinful, then it sort of lumps all of these sex acts into this category that becomes very confusing. That becomes much, much harder for children to distinguish what is good and what is bad when everything is already supposed to be bad, but parts of it feel good. That is an excellent point. Absolutely. I, I think you're absolutely right that that is the, a deep and, and broad myth. I was actually reading an article about uh, a curriculum that was trying to, uh, people were trying to pass to get into an education system locally here. And it seemed like a wonderful program, but it, it explained what BDSM is to, you know, adolescents. And the comments from the parents that they quoted in some of the articles were just really horrifying. One woman actually said, and I'm paraphrasing, but she essentially said, uh, there's no way that I'm going to teach my daughter that sex is pleasurable. I mean, that's almost verbatim what she said. And it just you know, first of all, that just hurts to hear because you also know that she doesn't personally have that pleasurable relationship and how deep these, these kind of issues run. Uh, you mentioned the slut walk and also body awareness. How, how does sex positivity help 
you know, improve and make a difference in, in rape culture? Well, when you're sex positive with your children, and that's with, with boys and girls and all children, uh, you raise them with a sense that sex is something people enjoy when both of them want to enjoy it. And I think this is, this is a big problem that we have, particularly in the way we, we parent boys and girls differently, is uh, the sex-negative attitude towards girls is, you know, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex. And at the same time, boys are constantly getting this message through all of popular culture, through music and movies, and TV, and their parents even, that boys are supposed to want it and supposed to pressure girls into giving it to them and supposed to constantly be seeking it. And that makes consent a very murky area. It means that uh, it's a climate in which date rape in particular is just insanely prevalent, but even more so that most of the people committing date rape don't even realize they're doing it. They have no sense that what they're doing is wrong because they have no sense that, that girls have an option of, of having an informed no as well as having an informed yes. That is an excellent, excellent point. And I think you're right about the gender difference is one of the biggest um, pet peeves that I have is hearing people talk about, um, you know, that teenage boys, all they think about is sex. Or, or I actually, an acquaintance of mine uh, told me that he's raising his daughters to be um, essentially, he described sex positive. He said, "I want them to know it's a natural thing and all this." But then he said, and I, I just told them to it, told them, you know, straight out that that boys all they want is to get in your pants, and that's just the way it is. And it just it, it's so uh, scary to hear things like that because it also, you know, suggests that that all boys are a certain way, all girls are a certain way, that that females having sexual desire is not, you know, a normal thing. And uh, and as you said, the way that it's presented in, you know, in porn, a lot of times it's violent. So even the girls think that that's what it looks like, which is which is really, really scary. Um, what What would you say about, you know, your own personal sex life when it comes to talking to your kids? I know that uh, one, one response that I've heard from parents who are a little leery of sex positive um, parenting and talking to their kids about sex is they'll say things like, well, certain things are just, you know, meant to be private, so we just never talk about it and we don't want them to know we're having it and that kind of thing. Do you t talk to your kids about your sex life? Do you encourage that or do you just um, only if it comes up type of thing? Well, definitely only if it comes up. We're not initiating conversations with them about, about our sex life. But in addition to that, we don't really talk about our sex life. They don't need to know details. They don't. They haven't asked questions regarding details at this point. But um, if the day comes that they do want, you know, to a certain extent, some amount of details, um, I think that part of it is, is going to have to be including that openness in the conversation. So if you know, if if one of them comes to me someday and wants to know if something is normal, you know, is this you know, Sally at school said that some people put you know, their boyfriend's penis is in their mouth, and I thought that was crazy. Do people really do that? And I'm going to say yes. You know, that is a thing that people do, and it, you know, it, it can be pleasurable for both parties, but if you don't want to do that, you have no obligation to, ever. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's an important part of the conversation is being able to, you know, get over your own embarrassment and say, yes, some people do this. You know, yes, if you really want to know, I've done that. Um, but to say it, you know, honestly and without a sense of, of necessarily shame or embarrassment. 
Absolutely. That is so beautiful. And I, you know, I think knowing that those things do happen. And like you said, that they are instead of just being told, no, don't don't ever do that. Or or yes, it's normal. And actually have, you know, using it to start a conversation, because I imagine a lot of times a kid, if they're mentioning one thing, they probably have more than just that question and um, kind of, you know, exploring those things. And I, I would think, too, that the more you talk about it, the more comfortable they will be with talking to you about, you know, different things that are um, perhaps a little bit uncomfortable or intimate or about their bodies, which is really important. Do you, uh, are you looking forward to, uh, you know, the future as far as upcoming conversations you'll have? How do you prepare for things like, you know, the changes in their bodies and uh, the growing curiosity and things like that? Well, I wouldn't say I'm prepared. I, I always feel like I'm prepared, and then something happens. And I'm like, nope, this isn't at all like I imagined it would be, and I was wrong. Um, but at the same time, I feel like uh, like we have we have sort of a path to that those conversations. We've established a dialogue, and that's that's the most important thing. So that as questions become more complicated, and as they become more specific, you know, they know they can already talk about it and ask questions. And one thing that people, I think, get totally wrong when it comes to, you know, the talk is they feel the need to make it a single conversation. Sit down and say, you know, we're going to talk all about sex mm-hmm. and everything that has to do with sex, and so you're never going to have another question again, and then we're going to be done with it. And I think that attitude um, is, is not helpful for either the parents or the child. Because it's not just a simple, single conversation. There's always going to be questions that come up later. There's always going to be issues that come up later. It's always going to be stuff you don't necessarily know the answer to. So having it be sort of an ongoing discussion, something that you revisit whenever the need arises and that you don't treat like, well, now we're going to sit down and make this a big thing. Because once <laughs> your kids hit a certain age, yeah, yeah they're not going to want to sit down and have a big <laughs> thing. Totally. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Ask your question and move on. Totally. That is such a good point. I, that it hadn't even occurred to me, but that is such a common question is, when did you have the talk or did you get the talk <laughs> instead of it being mm-hmm. a conversation? And you're so right, because I imagine that usually it comes up when your hormones are all weird, you feel really weird about your body. And the last thing you really want to do is sit down and talk about becoming a woman with your mother. <laughs> so, yeah. Exactly. That's, you know, mom, I'm already humiliated. I'm already weirded out. I really don't want to know about birth control. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's not necessarily relevant. You know, just because I've had my first period doesn't mean I want to learn what a diaphragm is. Absolutely. Yeah. And and you wouldn't really want on that particular day to have everything dropped on you either. You're already going through so much. I mean, that's a, it can be a really empowering, empowering, beautiful time, you know, menstruation, but it also, it's scary sometimes to have all this new information. And I love that, uh, you know, the gradual, you know, having it part of the lifestyle, all of that makes so much sense. Um, I, I'm so curious how people have responded because I know I saw your article, I believe somebody had posted on Facebook and then I saw it on Twitter. When I shared it, other people said, oh, yeah, I read that. It was awesome. How have the responses been? Have, have you received a whole variety? Have people been supportive? I would say 99% of the response has been very positive. People are really excited about having the language to talk to their kids in a sort of shame-free way. And there isn't a good guidebook out there. It's, it's really hard to figure out, you know, how am I going to talk to my kids about sex when all the language I have for it is sort of wound up in my own hang-ups, you know? Yeah. Um, so in that way, a lot, of, a lot of the response has been just 
incredibly positive. At the same time, I've had a couple of people, you know, who sound like, like that commenter you were talking about, you know, not wanting their kids to know that sex is pleasurable or to believe that sex is pleasurable. I've had a couple people comment that, um, well, you know, this is how you raise porn stars. And, um, and I think that's, you know, first of all, shaming of porn stars and of, of women who are, are empowered by their sexuality. But also it shows a, a sort of sense of, of disgust when it comes to the idea of women being sexual entities in the first place. And that's where the negativity is. It isn't in, like, telling boys the same thing. It all has to do with the fact that this is a conversation I'm having with my daughters. Absolutely. Beautifully said. That is spot on, and I agree with you. I'm so glad that people have been supportive because I really do think that this message just needs to get out there repeatedly and in as many ways as possible. Uh, tell me a little bit about your work so that other people can check out it. I know you have a wonderful blog. Tell me about Supermommy, or Becoming Supermommy is your brand, correct? Yes, it is. Tell me a little um, bit about well, that. What do you write about? <laughs> I write about Becoming Supermommy. Um, when I started writing, I had this idea that I would give people parenting tips and I would have advice, and I figured out at about three posts that that was not possible because I have very little advice to offer anybody because I'm just as new at this and it, as, as useless a parent as just about anybody else. So um, instead I write, I write about that, about sort of discovering um, who you are as a parent and who you are as a person and sort of trying not to distinguish between the two. So it's about feminism and being... 21st century feminist stay-at-home mom. It also uh, is about sort of the journey my husband and I have, have had uh, uh, with our life after a brain cancer diagnosis and, um, and through our, our fertility treatments and now life with twins plus one. So it's, uh, it's generally just a collection of, of essays about um, the trials and triumphs of 21st century feminist parenting. I love that. And I'm going to subscribe to it today. I hope everybody else does too. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. Wasn't Leah awesome? I just love having, being able to bring in these guests who know so much about topics, uh, a fresh perspective for all of you, for me. I'm always learning, and I so appreciate your tuning in and supporting Girl Boner Radio. If you'd like to support us further, you can leave a review and rating on iTunes. You can also subscribe on iTunes or listen in on uh, Stitcher Radio or through Global Voice Broadcasting. For more Girl Boner fun, I hope you'll join me in the online communities we have on Facebook, Twitter, and my blog. You can find those links at augustmclaughlin.com. To learn more about Leah, you can check her out on Facebook, on Pinterest, Google+, and on Twitter. She's well known as Becoming Supermommy. Her Twitter handle is at bcmgsupermommy, Becoming Supermommy. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating and review, and hop over to my website, augustmclaughlin.com, for show extras and a whole lot more. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.